Ezra 9, verse 1 to 4. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring people with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, and have mingled the holy race with the people around them, and the leaders and the officials have led the way with this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, I being Ezra, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then every one who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles. Welcome to Chronicles Ministries. This passage that I just read to you is such a, t- a tough passage and maybe one that uh, you wish I would skip over, that you'd like to skip over, but here's the thing I don't think we can. The question that I've asked is why did Ezra react so negatively to the news of these marriages? He sat down, he was plunged into deep mourning, he he tore his robe, and he had patches of hair missing from his head and his beard. And this day and time, this was a sign of, uh, of deep, deep distress. And while he sat in silence, in disbelief, others who feared God gathered around him. Now, The prophets of old had spoken very clearly on mixed marriages and what they meant. So the people of Israel, uh, back then and, and even right now, the people of Israel were without excuse. They knew that what they were doing was against what God required. Some may be tempted to say, when you read that passage without diving into it, that Ezra was being racially driven, bound to exclude non-Jews from Israel. But racial purity, when you read the text in its full, is, is the furthest thing from Ezra's mind. It is not what he is worried about. Um, it is not what caused him great distress. Non-Jews like Rahab, who was a prostitute, and Ruth, who was a, a Moabite, um, are very good examples of outsiders, if you will, being welcomed in. And even actually in Ezra 6 verse 21, um, we read, So the Israelites who had returned from exile ate it, it being the Passover lamb, here it comes, together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. So Ezra's concern was that the intermar was sorry Ezra's concern was that the intermarriages represented a compromised faith that represented or threatened the future existence of Israel. Now marriages in these days of, of Ezra was more than a matter of personal. Uh, yeah, it was more than a personal matter. It created a political and religious alliance between two families. Now. These mixed marriages were tying the Israelites to other faiths, a faith that worshipped idols. And all that worshipping these idols entailed, detestable practices, Ezra writes, detestable practices. Now, I looked up to see what 
kind of idol worship there was, and detestable doesn't even begin to describe what was happening. Look for yourself. Go to, to Google, if you will, and look up Baal worship. It is more than detestable. Ezra is in great despair. And what does he do? What does he do? Moving forward, you will notice that he prays. And when you read his prayer, it shows that petty technicalities of the law were far from his mind. His concern, his distress involved the heart. He saw his people falling into the same pattern of compromise that had caused God to give up um, them, up their ancestors to the Babylonians in the first place, having learned nothing, nothing from the long exile. Do we make compromises that affect our faith today? Because here's the thing. We are no different than the people of the day that we are reading about. It just looks different. That's all. Ezra and Nehemiah, we see in Nehemiah 13, they're together. Ezra and Nehemiah knew the slippery slope of compromise and they knew the consequences. The people of Israel were tying themselves into intimate relationships. And I'm going to say that again. They were tying themselves into intimate relationships that caused great compromise of faith. Relationships that drew them into behavior that directly contradicted everything that God had done for them and everything he wanted from them. Again, we ask the question that I ask all the time, so what? What does this mean to us all these years later on this side of the cross? Here, here it is. The principles are always the same. Our God does not change. He had rescued these people and he had rescued their ancestors. God had cared for them and he and they knew the stories. God gave them a land of their own. He provided for them and he gave them guidelines that would keep them safe. Keep them safe in him and far away from detestable practices. They were sent into exile. They were back home, how quickly they forgot. And oh, how many times they were, they were reminded and warned. Over and over again, the prophets of old cried out, Stop, what you are doing is not honoring to God, and it's prohibited. And again and again, the prophets cried out, warning of consequences that would come because of compromised behavior that would lead to compromised faith. The people of Israel did not like what they heard, and although this is a very foreign thought to us, they actually killed most of the prophets because they did not speak to what their itchy ears wanted to hear. Moving forward, some 2,000 plus, plus years later, what do we do with a passage like this? We pay attention, and that's what we do. We pay attention. God is no less clear with us as he was with the children of Israel. You see, the difference is, though, is that we have the Bible and the Holy Spirit lives within us. We know it has been recorded for us how he has rescued us on the cross and how deep his love and how unmeasurable his love is for us. Now, be very clear. Salvation is found in Jesus 
period. The blood of the perfect spotless lamb of God is enough. We cannot add to it, but my friends, we cannot take away from that either. The cross is where your life was paid for. Faith. Faith in that, on that, is where it's at. So now what? We have faith. Well, we walk through this life in principle, no different than the children of Israel. We read our Bibles, and there we find the roadmap for living. God gives us guidelines that will keep us safe in Him, and He is very, very clear. Compromised faith, what does it look like? Now we could talk about the church as a whole, um, leaders leading well, doing their best not to lead astray, doing their best not to speak to itchy ears, but speaking truth, a truth that builds up just like Ezra did. He stood up and he read the law. It would be to us like somebody standing up and reading the Bible. It's about not tearing down, leading leading people to false teaching, which would bring them to compromise faith. And actually, I read that to you. Uh, it says, and the leaders and the officials have led the way. But we're not going there today. What we're doing is I'm going to invite you to bring the question right down to our own hearts, to our own minds, our own actions, our own faith. Our own faith. I'm going to share a phone call that I had from my daughter, Rebecca, and with her permission. Now, this past winter, it was a Saturday morning, and the phone rang, and it was my girl. And she was not happy. And I'm going to share what she shared with me, with her permission. You see, the night before, she had been out with a group of friends. And she woke up the next morning with a very heavy heart. She was incredibly uneasy. You see, her behavior, mostly involving the tongue the night before, had been less than desirable. She actually said to me, Mom, I believe in Jesus. And last night, who I was did not represent who I belonged to. She said she was horrified, recalling the conversations that she participated in and added to. And with a very heavy heart, she said she compromised herself, her faith. I heard her. I understood her because I've been there. So here's the thing. Compromised faith, she learned. I've learned and you've probably learned. Compromised faith is painful, but she listened to the pain of it. And I suspect that one who chooses to ignore the nagging feeling of conviction deep within their gut becomes hard over time and compromise becomes easier and easier. But here it is. She heard the groaning within her. She heard it. And what did she do? She listened. What a gift. What a gift. And for you and me, it's good news. It's good news. Now, I'm mom, so of course I started the process of picking her up and dusting her off. You see, we have a Father who loves us, and that love is beyond comprehension. We have a Savior who paid the highest possible price for her life, for your life, and for my life. And she was given the Holy Spirit who was living within her, and He spoke to her, and she heard Him. And I pray the reality of what she felt in that place of compromise, the unmeasurable 
unmeasurable gift of the nudging of the Holy Spirit stay planted deep within her heart and mind in order to shape her as she continues <clears throat> continues to walk this life. She was greatly troubled by compromised faith. She made no excuses when she spoke to me. She called a spade a spade. And this is exactly what's happening here in Ezra. He understood and he was greatly troubled. The gift, listen, the gift of conviction is a gift given to us when we understand the purpose of it. When we understand the love found in it. And when we know what we're to do with it, our Father, our Jesus, love us that much that they give us the nudge. The problem found in the text, and actually many times in the history of Israel, um, is who they were intimately attached to. And what that meant. Now Rebecca gave her heart and her being in an intimate way that broke her heart. I heard it in her voice, and hear me well. I am not talking about loving thy neighbor, and I am not talking about witnessing. That is a different discussion. I am talking about something different. I'm talking about intimate relationships, about giving your heart to the wrong place. I am talking about intimately attaching ourselves to people and situations that cause us to compromise ourselves and therefore compromise our heart and our faith. You know the places of compromise within you. You just know. And so do I. Do you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit or have you before? Can you speak to God's faithfulness in this regard? What will you do with the nudges as you move forward? Can you look at a tough passage like this one, the one that I read to you today, and see love in it? Can you see the great love in it? A father who warns of a compromised heart, behavior, and compromised thinking. Are you willing to stop for a moment and take inventory? Who or what are you and I intimately giving our hearts to? And how is it affecting the way we think, the way we live, the way we talk, and the way we act? The nudge, the nudge, our Father loves us so much that He is not willing to let us just continue walking down a path of possible destruction without a nudge. Here's the thing, my friends. Even a very tough passage like the one found in Ezra, Ezra, Ezra 9 is laced with a love that is far beyond what you and I could ever imagine or ask for. We belong to the creator of all things. His love surpasses our understanding. And in the un, un, sorry, and in the unmeasurable amount of his love, he is full of grace, mercy, patience, forgiveness, and nudges, and nudges of conviction. Who or what are you and I intimately attaching ourselves to? Attach yourself to the one who created you, the one who loves you, the one who gave life eternity, eternally, which begins now. Attach yourself to the safety found in him, the way he points us to, the way of safety found in his word. 
intimately attach yourself to Jesus, our Savior, and then move forward walking, acting, talking in a way that brings life, brings you life to the fullest. Pray thanksgiving for such a deep, deep love. It was deep enough for God to send Ezra to the Israelites to call them back to an intimate relationship with the right person, to call them back from compromise, which lead, which would lead once again to absolutely devastating consequences. And for us, Thanksgiving, he does the same thing. Thanksgiving for the nudges of conviction in order to bring us to a place of uncompromised faith. There is no one, no one ever who loves you as deep as the Father in heaven does. I pray that you and I will be able to follow him with everything that we got. And I pray that we are able to feel the nudges and to, to listen to them. And I, I pray that we will live a life each day a little bit better with uncompromising faith. Until we meet again, my friends. Amen.